0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word, and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books.
1: Oh, goodness <laughs> me, we're on air, do you mind? Um, Welcome everyone and welcome Christine to another hilarious if not historical edition of Wireless Books Brought to you all from the lovely studios that are Otago Access Radio For and on behalf of the Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute which is Dunedin's oldest institute Nothing fancy in it, it's a library Mm. A library. Tell us where it is, Christine, because Christmas is coming up and it is the ideal Christmas present, even for yourself.
0: Uh, Yes, actually, I give give this beautiful present of membership to my stepmother every year and she's very happy about it. We're in the octagon and we are down the corridor between the crake and the thistle. Everybody seems. Everybody seems to know the Irish bar, the Craic. So, just just follow the smell of Guinness, and you'll you'll be right. <laughs> smell. and of course, a lot of
1: people know the um, Athenaeum Theatre now. So, it's called it, the new
0: Athenaeum Theatre, yeah. and they call it the Nat for short. Oh, oh how very Oxford or how very Oxbridge? Wow, oh, they do their best.
1: <laughs> 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 yes. So, how are you, Beth? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. And I have brought back that most wonderful
0: book. Um, I've got what it's called. Oh, and I've I've actually put it away. (laughs) It's a sequel to The Boy in the the Striped Pajamas. All
1: the Places That Are Broken uh, by John Bourne, I think. And it didn't disappoint. Just a wonderful book. Um, I'm... Very, you know, touching, sad, poignant, um, happy, and still a surprise to the very end. Nowhere near as harrowing mm. as the so called children's book of The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. But um, it does follow Bruno's older sister, Gretel. She has a long life. Um, and it, I hadn't, it made me think of something that happened to me and one of my sisters, Katrina years ago, and I hadn't thought about it in many, many years. And part of uh, the book Gretel's Journey was when people invariably did find out what she tried to keep um, her secret Mm. um, about her father being the commander of Auschwitz. Um, There was general condemnation of her, even though she was a child, at the time. But specifically after the war, um, how she didn't go to any authorities. Um, So this was like even 50 years, 60 years after the war ended. People are still saying to her, you know, you could have um, helped capture so many more Nazis if you had come forward. So it was just that overwhelming feeling of of guilt. Um and and I'd never thought about that before. I thought, well she was just a child, what could mm. she do? But anyway, you need to read it. Anyway, the memory and I was thinking too, you know, she's just a child. Look, this is sixty years later, it was awful. But what what would you do in that position if you found out about Gretel, really? Because uh my family, well my mother was friends with um, a lovely neighbour, lovely mm. older woman. She was about 80. She was um, a doctor, retired doctor. Um, and um, mum was invited to her 80th birthday. Um, my sister took mum. And there on the photo board of her life was her in a doctor's white lab coat. She was an adult with a Nazi uniform underneath. <gasps> now, oh my I, God. Wasn't <laughs> I wasn't there to see that. It could my sister told me about this, and the horror. Which and we never spoke. Oh, well, with her again. But so, how do you well feel when yeah. and some, And I had never thought. I hadn't. I had forgotten all about that wee small memory. Uh, That's that book. Yes, it's very odd that she would display that photograph. You think I know that you would destroy that, well, on her. But what does that say? Does that say she's not ashamed of that time? Because you could be in that time um, and have to do what you have to do to survive, or you know Mm. whatever. But to display it, so we don't know the backstory. We only know that photo was there. And yeah. it was, she didn't actually put it up, her daughter put it up for her, you know, she's celebrating her mum's birthday, but the fact it still existed. And yeah, it was put there, but.
0: Yeah, but, that's, that's odd, isn't it? Yeah,
1: but that book, this is the power of great literature. Yeah. It, that I would never have remembered that memory, ever, if that book had not sparked Gretel's A part of Mm. Gretel's journey, and I thought,
0: "Oh yeah." Well, I mean, it's not just um, people who were Nazis in their in their youth. I mean, there's all sorts of things you could discover about somebody that totally changes your perception of them. And um, yeah, Yeah. and I mean,
1: what I mean, could have discussed it with Mm. her, but what was the? What's the point? Never told. Mm. um, Mum didn't say. Never told mum, ever. Because why?
0: Why? Yeah. Yeah, if your mother didn't yeah. notice it, why yeah. yeah. But no.
1: That's just a little aside, but yeah, no, fantastic book. Uh, as usual, just bring you just bring brilliant books into the library, Christine.
0: Well, I have some more brilliant books, hopefully. Um I've have the latest or yes, the third in the Richard Osman's book of the Thursday Murder Cup and it's called The Bullet That Missed. And Yes, very, very, very good. It actually like continues like the week afterwards just about, it oh, seems. From the second book. Yeah.
1: Yes. I loved, as you know, I loved the first book. from you know, The second book, yeah, I read. And yeah, it was good, but it just, I thought.
0: Oh, I actually think I liked the second I'm book not. a bit better. This one, I still, I liked it, but I didn't love it. But... I still enjoyed it mm. a lot I just oh don't worry I'm taking it yeah yeah, yeah. I mean he's a very good writer and I, I can't really say why it was that I didn't love mm. it love it but I did like it like it so oh, he's well, still pretty good pretty good,
1: good.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah I yeah I would highly recommend anybody who's read the first two is definitely want, going to want to read the next one um, I just think, yeah, maybe, maybe he should um, go to another well next time, yeah. possibly. But then, when you when your series is so amazingly successful, why would you? Yeah. I'm waiting for them to bring out a BBC series. Oh, they must that. do, surely. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think actually, I think I kind of know why I didn't like it so much, as he's sort of set it in the world of television, because of course oh. he knows the world of television, but if and it makes sense in some way, and it is an exotic in a, a, for most of us, a world that we know nothing about, but in a way i I found that distracting or I did um, distancing because it's a world that I don't know and a, in a way I'm not interested in. <laughs> oh, well, as you know, I was very recently an extra: in a Oh yes, you know all movies, about
1: it so I'll be fine. Yes, with, I'll be able to oh, I'll explain the nuances to you.
0: I just um, yeah, yeah, for whatever reason, I I think I I found that distancing, but that's me. It's still a a cracker of a book. Now I have the latest Graham Norton, and this must be about his fourth one, and it's called Forever Home. And Graham Norton has surprisingly is a very good writer. He sets his books in Ireland, and although. I mean, he grew up in Ireland, but he left Ireland when he was young, and he he doesn't really live there anymore. But he obviously he knows Ireland, and he sets his books in small towns in Ireland. And his heroine in this book is Carol, and she's a divorced teacher. She has one child, and he's grown up and doesn't need her anymore, and she's she's lonely, and she starts um, dating an older man um, called Declan. And surprisingly, it becomes quite a a serious and deep relationship, even though most other people don't approve, her parents don't approve because he's so much older than her, and, and other people speculate about it because Declan was married and his wife just disappeared one day and nobody really knows the backstory, and he lives in a beautiful house, and at the back of the blurb on the back has all these deep hints about things being buried and stuff, and you think, "Oh my goodness, there's someone buried in the backyard and actually <laughs> that is not the case, but close enough and so as because Declan's so much older than her he he starts to become unwell and um think you know you think, oh, she's gonna she's gonna find this, and she's going to discover the the wife. But um, no, it's actually quite a different, but um, really very interesting and good. It's—I um, actually think I might say it's probably his best one yet. Oh, yeah, I, I high praise indeed. Yes, I would really strongly recommend you take that one, and um, I think if you do, you'd enjoy it. Now, I have. Um, this is the bookseller at the end of the world by Ruth Shaw and she lives in Manipuri. and she has she has two um, you've heard about tiny houses well she's got two tiny bookshops. shops she's got one which has um, books and the other one is an even smaller one which is um, children's books and um, She writes about her life and how she came to be living in Manipuri with her husband and why she opened the bookshop. She's a person, she's a real people person. She... Like if somebody comes into the bookshop and she takes a shine to them and um, gets talking to them, she'll quite often close the bookshop up and take them into her house and give them a cup of coffee and, and have a good chat over, a chinwag over the kitchen table. I She's, like the sound of her. Yeah, she she is a lovely person, She, but she has led um, a hard life in some ways. She grew up in um, Cromwell, I think, and um, or no, Clyde. Anyway, a small... Um, Central Otago Town, and some things happened, and she ended up going off the track. But she, she's a person; she calls herself a wanderer. She's a person who um, she she finds it hard to settle, and so she, to her, it's very surprising that she's ended up very settled in Manapouri. But in a way, it's because she has the world coming to her door, rather than her going to the world oh, now.
1: How- what a lovely, how lovely! To, what a lovely way to describe it. That's what I was
0: trying to say. Yes. Sorry. So, yeah, I and I it's got oh, it's got pictures. Ooh. It does have pictures. Well, we like well biographies usually do, don't they? That's I think that's yes. part of the nice thing about a biography. I always spend ages peering at the pictures trying to work out who's who. And I approve of the large
1: font. Yes. Oh, oh, I know these bookshops. Yes, oh, a cherished photo of my son Andrew as a baby. Oh, we were. Oh, I'm not going to ruin. This will be a really fantastic yes. book. What an amazing woman! Yes, at- oh,
0: she was in the navy. Oh, yes, she's she's led a life. Um, so, stop looking at the pictures and let's talk about the next book. And it's oh. by Ruth Weir, who um, wrote The Woman in Cabin Ten. And it's called the It Girl, and it's about a group of friends in Oxford, the yeah the swanky um, university, and know, the, yeah, they're living they're living their best life. And one of them, um, April, is the It Girl of her year. She's sort of the queen bee, and her friend Hannah discovers her body, and um, which is devastating for Hannah, and. Um, I think a lot the the janitor or something gets um, convicted of of her murder and is sent to prison, but ten years later, Hannah is not so sure and she starts revisiting the the case because she's she's found it very hard to let April go in a lot of ways. She like when she's in a restaurant if she hears a woman with a voice that sounds like April she can't help herself but turn her around. <sighs> Part of her hopes it's April, even though she she knows it can't be April. And so she starts revisiting the case and she starts picking it apart and, and things don't quite fit together. And of course, the trouble with investigating a murder when the murderer is still out there is um, they probably won't like you doing that. And um, if they've murdered once, what's to stop them murdering again? And yes, so that's that sort of setup. and this has had very good reviews as well. And finally, I have the latest in Rankin. a heart full of headstones. and this I mean Rankin has been doing this for quite a while. he he sets up each new book recently and you think surely this must be the last rebus he's mm. you know he's retired he's this and this one it's actually cancer. um starts with rebuses on trial for murder and so you think so is this gone back in time or? no it's gone it's it starts off with is in the dock and he's being charged and it actually doesn't say what he's being charged with and then you go back Back to the lead up to how he ended up there, and then you end up with um, what happens.
1: Yeah, but is it set in the present day, I mean, or has he put it back Yeah, it, as, is, it is set oh, okay. in the
0: present day. Oh, it's 20 questions, isn't it? Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I think any re- well, you know, everybody at the back is saying, oh, this is brilliant, and <laughs> whatever <laughs> he writes, <laughs> it will be worth reading. <laughs> and yes. Rebus is one of British kind's writing's greatest characters. So, and that's true. And, um, yes. I like it. Mm. I'm going
1: to give you a bit of a break. How's that? Thank you. While well, we argue over what books I'm allowed to take. We don't want to do that in public. That would be so embarrassing.
0: For more information on the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, go to www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz. That's Dunedin A T H E N A E U M dot org nz. <laughs> Done deal. Oh, hopefully. Now, I was reading a magazine and I found this article about um, the HMS Amethyst, which was invo- was actually involved in. Um, After the Second World War, they were patrolling um, the the Yangtze River in China, and they were. It was in 1949, and the communists were um, fighting against the nationalists, and the. Communists uh, were on the riverbank and they fired on the amethyst and the amethyst was stuck there and it was caught, became known as the amethyst incident. But what I want to talk to you about is that the ship's kept Simon, who had been found in um, the docks of Hong Kong the year before in an emaciated condition and he was smuggled aboard by... A seaman, um, someone Higginbottom, I think. Um, yes, seaman George Higginbottom, and Simon quickly won the affections of the captain and the crew because he was a good ratter, and he was, and he knew being a cat, he knew how to suck up. So he sucked up to the captain, and he used to sleep in the captain's um, cap. And he used to sleep in the captain's cabin, which actually was bad news for Simon because when the communists fired on the Amethyst, they actually one of the projectiles landed in the captain's cabin, and the captain was killed, and. Simon had um, shrapnel injuries and he was rushed down to the medics and they thought he wouldn't last the night but they managed to save his life. And so they, they were pinned down in the Yangtze River and the ship was inundated with rats and the rats were such a problem. They, were, they had limited food supplies and the rats were eating the food and also um, eating sailors' Um, toes when they were sleeping and, <laughs> and other horrors. But Simon, to the rescue, st- kept going, and um, even though he had war wounds, he, he um, was killing rats. And he actually um, killed a particularly large and vicious rat that the crew had nicknamed Mutsi Tong. And so he was hailed as a hero and promoted to able sea cat Simon. And so, the, finally, the amethyst escaped in dark under fire, and it was, it was one of those um, dare doing type deeds. And it was, and when they got back to England, everybody was thrilled, and um, Simon was a hero. But of course, being an animal, he had to um, go into quarantine. Now, he still had um, his, his shrapnel wounds and stuff, and he caught a virus, and sadly he died very soon after. So he was only about two when he actually died. But he um, got what the Dickens uh, Medal, which is uh, given to animals who have been brave in war. And he ha- he's buried in a naval cemetery, and he has his own headstone. And he is actually a very very famous um, um, cat. There was a, a newsreel of him at the time. Um, he, There were flowers, cards, letters of sympathy and actually they had to have a, 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 a sailor actually had to take on the job of answering all the, all the messages to Simon because he was so popular. His death was recorded in Time magazine and his photograph was on the cover of Picture Post. Oh. He was a real celebrity and and well loved by the crew, isn't that oh, an interesting story.
1: story? Yeah. Well, he was. He was injured in the war, and,
0: and he, but like he, when
1: our, our he did our his brave duty. police police dogs get injured. There's always a huge outcry of sympathy and and a- anger and trauma.
0: Yeah. Now I've got a column from a, or oh, a, an article from a hundred years ago from the 2nd of September 1922, because we've been sort of talking about um, the centenary of radio, and this is um, quite interesting. It says, join the radio fad with caution to mm-hmm. the editor, Sir. As the radio equipment will, in the very near future, be installed in thousands of homes and as a fair technical knowledge will be needed to guard against an experience, I take the opportunity to warn which I trust may be the means of helping those who today are eager to launch out in that direction. Radio is probably understood by boys and young men better than by adults, and thousands of these throughout the world have been experimenting for some time. It may have arrived at a very advanced stage of progress by stepping out in the right path, while thousands have paid dearly for their experience. To those about to follow in their tracks, I beg space to give a little guidance and keep them on the right way as many rush in during the period of excitement." The best results are obtained from sets using the outside antennae or interior wires to collect the waves. As the ambition of every experimenter is to erect these as high as possible, they become the weak part of the equipment. In many cases they run in too light a wire and give out or break under wind stress or strain. And in every city many highly charged wires are running through the vicinity with the result that an aerial coming in contact becomes charged also. Loss of life and many fires have been the result of an experience in this direction." I have seen wires entering a building in a haphazard way instead of proper insulators and leading in tubes, the cheapest way often being taken light being taken. Lightning does not visit very often, but when it does an interior wire is a great attraction. A lightning arrester should be in a circuit outside the building and a heavy switch to cut over when it is not desired to operate. I am etc. F.J. O'Neill Dunedin. Now that's actually a point. Sound advice, actually. Because back then, of course, they would have had their crystal sets and Mm -hmm. stuff and it would have really been a a very higgledy-piggledy do-it-yourself affair. And um, and and you did want to get the
1: antenna as high as you yes, could to yep. get nice. as many stations. Sound advice. Not often we say something from a hundred years ago, and that paper is sound advice. But mm, and pardon
0: the pun, with it being sound <laughs> advice. Yes, indeed. I just thought I just wanted to read that because I thought it was just interesting. Because when we think of radio, we think of what we have now, and of course that's not what was happening a hundred years ago. Now I have. And I think we just have time for one more, and this is um, a saddest story, really. Miners remove coal. Now, it's not coal miners, it's young people. Two mothers and daughters were charged with stealing varying quantities of coal from the railway yard. The evidence showed that it was the practice of the little girls after school hours to visit the railway yard and take the coal home in trolleys. In this way, the railway department had lost a considerable quantity of coal and the object of these prosecutions was to put a stop to its removal. The mothers averred that they did not think their daughters were doing anything wrong, but one of them admitted that she had not brought any coal for a considerable time, and the other stated that many of her neighbours had obtained larger quantities of free coal than her little girl had brought home. It Sounds like it was a bit of a free-for-all. The magistrate remarked that a very considerable quantity of railway coal must have been transferred to Carroll Street, Each of the mothers was fined 20 shillings, and the two little girls were placed under the supervision of the junior probation officer for a period of six months. The fathers were also ordered to make good the amounts of the stolen coal, six shillings in one case and 20 shillings in the other. And I think that's quite fascinating, obviously. um, They must have been taking a
1: lot of coal for it to be noticed. and. Do you know, I blame the parents.
0: The parents. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm glad
1: they got fined. Well, I don't know. I wish you could look up what yes names and find out what did. I hope those little girls turned out to be chief magistrates. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? But for another time.
0: Either that or uh, fire wardens. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Oh, dear. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. Yes, happy reading. Oh, yes, happy reading.
0: The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books, new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum library at number 24, The Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851.